This is Wise Guy Talks. Wise Guy Talks. Speaking truth to power. Exposing lies. Fake news. Fighting to restore American values. American values. Release the house. Okay, here we go. Take five, episode 63. We're going to call this one Promises Made, Promises Kept. I've got Elvis in here helping me out today. Elvis, are you ready? I'm ready to go today. All right. So uh, why don't you introduce our two guests that we have in here today? Well, we have trustee Hannah Smith and trustee Cam Bryan with us today. In no particular order? No particular order. <laughs> Just checking. So the idea for this podcast is to basically, as the name implies, you know, uh, quite often we see politicians uh, make promises, but rarely do they seem to keep them these days. And that's how I came upon the name Promises Made and Promises Kept. Why don't you take it away, Hannah? Talk about, I would say, the number one thing that you're proud of at this point under Promises Made, Promises Kept. You know, I think one of the main things that our electorate was concerned about when we were voted into office was making sure that we held at bay um, the Cultural Competence Action Plan. And we have certainly done that. That's a promise kept. Um, The very first meeting that we were in as trustees, the administration had on the agenda a a preschool curriculum that included social-emotional learning. And we did some research online and found out that the company that would uh, host the social emotional learning piece of the curriculum had a whole bunch of um, anti-racist rhetoric on their website. Uh, Policy statements, anti-racism, all sorts of things. And so we went to the administration and we said, look, you know, this is not appropriate. This is exactly what our community voted us in to make sure our schools did not adopt this kind of anti-racist curriculum. Um, And so we actually were really successful in um, getting assurances from the district that they would not use that social emotional learning curriculum from that particular company in that way. So so Hannah, that's a big deal. I, I think most people don't even know that that happened that you so I think so many things you guys do you know most folks are unaware of do you think the district did due diligence on that program ahead of time and and knew or do you think it took you guys being there to point out that that you know this sort of critical theory was embedded within this social emotional learning I think that they just Mm -hmm. didn't know I don't think that they were trying to pass something off on us I think they didn't know and we just researched it really well and found it out for them and as soon as we brought it to their attention they were very um, helpful in getting it removed you know I'll I'll just add to that too you know we campaigned on preventing any type of political ideology right uh, to be embedded in our children's curriculum. And this is just kind of the step-by-step process that you go through. You really have to look at all of these, especially these ed tech programs um, that have this social-emotional learning in them uh, because there are these companies that have been approved by the Texas Education Agency that do focus on some of these political ideologies embedding in their curriculums that they uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's important, though, we go back to because people that may not be really plugged into this, when you use the word anti-racism, uh, at first brush stroke, everybody goes, well, I'm all for that. So what do you think they mean when we use they use the word anti-racism? 
Well, anti-racism goes back to Ibram X. Kendi and all of his writings, um, and it really ties in nicely with the whole critical race theory um, philosophy. And so, you know, everyone, of course, is um, very much against any form of racism, but this is a definite kind of philosophy that they want to use to indoctrinate our kids in, and and that's why we had to push back. And I'll also note, um, Elvis, that we also removed the cultural competence references from our school parent student compact. Cam, we got an election coming up and just out of curiosity, what is the chance of snapping back to this nefarity if that election goes in the wrong direction? Could we snap back to the old ways? Oh, well, uh, absolutely. Um, right now it's, you know, Hannah and I, we need, uh, you know, a couple more people on the board to uh, move this in, in the direction that we see it needing to go. And, uh, you know, we we're proud that we have a special election and that um, it's one of those things that, you know, we want our community to decide um, who our next right. um, official is. Before we I, push I, off of social emotional, let me just mm-hmm. hit this point. Alice Lenahan and I went over this in depth. And the thing that disturbs me about these corporations that run these social emotional, they're collecting data points and they're collecting data points in a very nefarious way that parents are completely completely invisible to the parents and they could ultimately i think the ultimate extrapolation of this could be first of all monetizing your kids through these data points that they collect but the other thing is is it not too far-fetched to to uh, conjure up the idea of uh, social credit cards or social credit scores well, that's already yeah. happening, actually. I mean, you see online businesses are being rated for how woke they are and whether or not they're culturally competent in some measure. Um, I think that's not, uh, you know. An but, but what if they do that with your, your kid and you'll be next? And what, what happens if they put that score over your kid and by the time he graduates out of high school, he's pigeonholed as a conservative and the banking institutes decide they don't want to loan him money or the airlines decide they don't want to fly him? point aren't they aren't we kind of already knocking on the shouldn't be quite shouldn't we be quite fearful absolutely and you know we've we've pushed back against that and that's why it was so important to stop the ccap because the ccap had parts of it that definitely would have um, put things on students records that would stay with them for the rest of their lives but i want to also get back to the special election that you talked Mm -hmm. about earlier because um, that was not a foregone conclusion and i just Mm -hmm. want our community to know that because there were people that were suggesting that we were past the deadline for a special election when uh, trustee almond announced his resignation or uh, vacation of his seat. And we stepped in and said, no, um, we've done our research. We actually can still hold a special election. So we definitely ensured that that special election uh, happened. And we're really excited that it's going to be taking place on November 2nd. Wow. That, I'd not heard that story. So, so we're, was the school board getting legal counsel that we were past that? Well, I'm not going to talk about the yeah. legal counsel that we received, yeah. but there were definitely some who thought that we had been past, you know, past the uh, deadline right. for elected a special election. That's great. Elected or unelected people. You can go that far. <laughs> uh, there were those in the community who thought uh, that we had passed okay. the deadline. So gotcha. um, we pushed back and Good we answer. got the information and we were armed with facts and we came back and said, no, actually, we can't hold a special election. And, and uh, we made sure that it happened. Maybe, maybe this is a foregone conclusion, Cam, but why would people not want to uh, experience the will of the people, the voice of the people through an, a natural election? Why would they want to have one person? First of all, let's talk about what could have happened had we not had the special election. How would that person been determined? Well, sure. The the board could vote um, to appoint uh, a member of the community. So, and that's what has been done in the past. Um, And people like to repeat, you know, what's done in the past. They 
you know, don't want to adopt change. Um, I don't think I can even remember Hannah the last time that we had a special election uh, for a school board member in this community. So the board uh, voted unanimously, I should say, for a special election, uh, not an appointment. And that's very important because the community really should be the ones to determine who sits Absolutely. on that school board, not the school board determining who sits it, on that school board. Is there cost to the school uh, district uh, for the special election? So we actually found out that there is a very de minimis cost for this special election. Normally, if you hold a special election that's outside of a normal election, it would cost thousands of dollars. But right. because there was already a special election called by the governor for this November, we were able to put our school board uh, election on that already called special election. By so the way, we do have a four-syllable mm-hmm. limit mm-hmm. on Wise Guy Talk, so when you use words like de minimis, i got to go <laughs> translate that to my Marine Corps buddies. <laughs> Minimus means very negligible, like almost zero. $82. Right. Really? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Really? I think it's like $82 is what it's going to cost. All right, Anna, you're chopping at the bit. What you got for us? Um, So the other thing that we uh, were really proud of is that when we reviewed the student code of conduct for reapproval this year, um, we did update it to reflect the U.S. Supreme Court decision recently that protected student off-campus speech. It it almost feels like there's some people that want our schools to be some sort of a Mm -hmm. police agency that they want to, to, to police students in their entire life. That's um, right. And it seems like the Supreme Court clearly said that's not the school's purpose. They said exactly that. They yeah. said if you're able to regulate student speech 24-7, then that's, you basically leave them no First Amendment rights left. And so that's not acceptable under the, under the Constitution. You're staying on the student code of conduct too, Hannah. Uh, one thing that we campaigned on was educating our principals and teachers and our students about what was in the student code of conduct, what were the expectations, what were the actions, consequences taken if you did not meet those expectations. And I have to give kudos to Dr. Ledbetter for taking that on. And he uh, got the principals together before the school started and really went over the student code of conduct. The principals then had teacher meetings. Um, I've uh, heard that they've also had meetings with the students so it really is something that they are highlighting they're uh, something that uh, you know we asked them to do and they followed through with it so kudos to the administration for that if you're falsely accusing somebody and that that accusation could get that kid expelled and then you find out it was a false accusation that kid should be in for the exact same treatment that was going to happen to the original kid right Am I right? And that's what they're going to be looking at the consistency Mm -hmm. of application of discipline. And they've also introduced, I mean, the administration's introduced kind of an investigative type process um, that the principals and the teachers use to enforce the student code of conduct, which is uh, more than I think that this administration has done in the past. So, you know, we're moving in in the right direction, taking positive steps. Yeah, the next thing I'd like to talk about is something that's near and dear to my heart, and that is our special education Mm -hmm. students. And, um, you know, I campaigned on the special education improvement in our district. um, And we worked really closely with the CPAC, the Special Education Parent Advisory Council, to uh, advocate that we install cameras in our restricted learning environments. These are our kiddos that Many of them, most of them perhaps are not verbal. They can't talk. And so if something happens to them at school, their parents might not know what happened. Conversely, if something happens and teachers are unfairly accused, you know, who knows what really went down. And so there's a state law that actually allows for um, 
cameras to be installed in special education classrooms. And so we were successful in getting the board to unanimously approve the installation of those cameras in our classrooms that are for um, students um, who have those restricted environments for their learning, which is really an important um, win for us and definitely a promise made and a promise kept. Now, are those cameras already in place? Is that done? So I think they're ahead of schedule. They were supposed to be completed by the end of September, and um, I believe they were ahead of schedule. And so I think they should be announcing at our board meeting this next week um, that they are done with those. Can we talk budget? You ready to talk budget? It's up to you. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, for the first time in recent history, uh, this board passed a balanced budget, which we're very proud of. Uh, We campaigned on fiscal responsibility, not passing deficit budgets. And uh, you know, credit to William Wooten, our uh, CFO for the administration, for finding ways to adjust um, our budget to get it down to uh, balanced. And we're, we're very excited about this. And the challenge is now is uh, keeping it balanced. So we just don't want a balanced budget so for one year. What's the history of passing a balanced budget here? When was the last time we had a balanced budget? Nobody can remember. Um, we've asked, and we've been we've been passing deficit budgets uh, for years and years and years. And essentially, you know, from my research and what I can gather is it's really not a deficit budget. It really, we ended up the years pretty much as balanced budget. But if you pass a deficit budget, for instance, let's say your revenues come in at 119 million and you pass a $124 million budget, well, that difference is allowing the, or giving the authorization to the administration to spend from our fund balance, so our savings account. So that's essentially the board giving their authority mm-hmm. to administration rather than managing. Exactly. Right. Uh, correct. And so this year, you know, we had a 119 revenue projection. We're going with a 119 uh, budget. And we have told the administration, Dr. Ledbetter, that, hey, if we get to a point during the year and we, we are, you know, needing money and, and, and it's something that's justified, you can come to the board. Yeah, come and, back to us. And we can authorize you know, spending out of that fund balance. That seems we completely don't want to give logical. you carte of the fund balance. That seems completely right. logical right. to me. Yeah. And, and it seems like that's the board's duty. Absolutely. Right. But, but I've heard some folks in the community criticizing the fact that we're balancing the budget. Well, um, you know, when you, when you say you're balancing the budget, there are people that think, well, we're cutting things. Well, right. what are we cutting? Are we cutting programs? Are we cutting money from going to our campuses? Um, what is it that you're cutting? Um, and we were very careful with that. And uh, Mr. Wooten, our CFO, uh, made it a point in his presentation that this budget does not impact whatsoever any of our 11 campuses in schools. Uh, so they have the budget that they need. And, you know, we he found ways right. in that central admin to be able to balance. So that said, do you think there are places where we have opportunities to reduce costs that aren't leading to a better education outcome for our kids? Well, I think that's where the cost containment committee comes in. Okay. And, and that's a new committee that we're advocating be formed and that we're accepting okay. applications for right now. And over the next year, that cost containment committee uh, will be looking at that. Like, how can we cut back? Where can we economize? And how can we get a real balanced budget that isn't supplemented by federal ESSER funds? Because this year we do have the ESSER funds to help sort of buffer this right. balanced budget a bit. So right. um, we need to get to a place where we can actually have a balanced budget where we're not relying on those federal dollars coming in. There's been a lot of teachers that have left South Lake. Um, Have we looked at the ratios of what 
uh, teachers get paid here compared to other school districts, and also same thing for admin. Um, are those two categories in line, and is there any way to focus on, because I've known some of these teachers that are great teachers that are mm -hmm. no longer with right. us. Yep. And I would love to keep them here, but they're only going 10 miles away over here to Keller. Right. Our, our base salary for our teachers at the bottom third um, in North Texas. Um, so we have a ways to go. And what was strange to me when I uh, joined the board was the question I asked is, well, what is our expectation? Where do we want to be in terms of salaries for our teachers? Do we want to be at the very top? Do we want to be in the median or do we want to be at the bottom? And the answer was, we don't know. Um, we haven't really looked at that before. So one of the things that these committees are going to be doing, and uh, Hannah mentioned cost containment, but we also have budget and finance in the audit committee. All three are going to be working hand in hand to come up with these goals and objectives so that we can work towards those. You know, the board passed the 2% across the board uh, raise for not only our teachers, but our admin as well. Uh, that's not enough for our teachers. That still doesn't get us in the top. Uh, in the middle. Um, we're still uh, at the bottom third. So we have to find ways uh, through these committees and we're going to use these committees and the community members that have joined these committees are going to have an active role in figuring this out. So I'm excited. And we did approve a 2% raise for our teachers this mm -hmm. year, which was really great. Um, but we do need to find ways to increase their salaries. We're going to have a emerald gem school where paying teachers in the bottom third. And, and what are we paying admin? Are they in the bottom third? Well, if you're looking at the central admin, the top, uh, top. levels, you're looking at I'm about looking at. 90, 95%. So they're at the top of uh, the level uh, for their positions. Can we do a little Robin Hood on that? So. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you know, in addition to CEF and the PTOs, which are crazy, um, they match pretty much dollar for dollar. Hannah and I met with all the principals before school started, and they, they all told us, right, to, yes. the, to the person that these PTOs are so generous that yes. they raise enough money to match what we're able to give them through the administration every year, which it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So you're able to augment W-9s for these teachers, um, you know, uh, their income. You're able to augment those with the PTOs and CEOs? Not PTOs. The PTOs buy things like furniture, oh, okay. uh, things that typically, you know, we Playground equipment, oh, okay. equipment, things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah that, that and, type of thing. And does CEF target specific individuals that get some award for the year, or does it blanketly across uh, all teachers? They fund specific positions, so they'll fund a teacher or they'll fund an administrator on the campus levels, is my understanding. Right. And counselors, and, if I recall. Yes, right? some counselors. I, you know, in the business world where I came from, it's, it's really common to have succession planning within an organization. And mm -hmm. so on, on every campus, you would know who are your highest performers and you wouldn't, you wouldn't go outside and look for, you know, when someone left the company or retired, mm -hmm. you, you already knew who that person was that was going to be that assistant principal or principal or even superintendent. Do you, do you think that's appropriate in an educational environment that we should be doing that kind of succession planning? Well, I mean, it, it, it does happen. I mean, it's been successful and then yeah. in times it hasn't been right. I yeah. mean, but succession planning in and of itself is a good thing, right. uh, in my opinion. And we've taken advantage of that with uh, hiring some of the vice principals, uh, the assistant it, it, principals here right. recently right. when, we, you know, uh, Langford uh, at Durham. Uh, yeah. Was it Durham or is it Dawson? I think it was Dawson. Dawson was hired. Yeah. He was able to hire Vice Principal um, uh, Ryan Wilson, who's the principal right. at the senior high school, was able to hire you right. know, Vice Principal within, which I think is good. It's good for morale. Let, yeah. let me ask you an um, incisive question about that process on the yep. ORRs. Um, 
Do the trustees see those RRs? Are you guys given executive summaries of them? Well, I think it's important for the board to understand what the community is uh, asking, what they're looking for, you know, what's on their mind. And one of those uh, opportunities is to find out what's being sent through the OOR process. And so, yeah, we, I, I, th I think we can talk to Dr. Ledbetter about, hey. Um, Can't you at least board, strip off the, the subject know. line and say, you know, this one is on some whatever. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, shouldn't you right. at least have an executive summary or subject line going to you guys? So I have called um, Karen Fitzgerald and asked her um, before, you know, can you give me a sense of you know what people are asking mm -hmm. about and uh, what kinds yeah. of requests are yeah, being submitted? Yeah, but that's submitted. up to her determination, though. Uh, she could give us a regular report, and yeah, we could definitely we ask, ask for, for that. We have asked for reports in other areas. We've asked for reports on financial expenditures that fall um, beneath the $50,000 cutoff for board approval, uh, just so we can see if, if they're breaking things down uh, in chunks to avoid approval at the $50,000 level. So right. we've already asked for that to be reported to us, and they've done that. So I think they'd be responsive if we asked about that. And, and just so everybody doesn't think that Ellis and I are prejudicial towards you guys one way or the other, All all the trustees are welcome to come on and talk about their accomplishments. I welcome them to come on here and talk to Elvis and myself and maybe Juan about their accomplishments. So what do, we, what do you have next for us? Um, so also one final thing on the finance part. Um, we declined to delegate authority uh -huh. to the superintendent uh -huh. for emergency expenditures in excess of $50,000. This was something that TASB had recommended that we adopt. And we just believed that it was the board's responsibility to act in this oversight capacity. And so not that we don't trust the administration or our wonderful superintendent, but you know, we, we really felt like this is something that we can accomplish yeah, um, I, as a board. I, I could see at Dallas ISD or maybe Fort Worth ISD, they're huge districts. Maybe right. that makes sense to give the, the superintendents some leeway. We're, we're all right here in Southlake. I mean, we can pick up the phone and be in a, yeah. a meeting room in 15 minutes. Yeah, right? we, we felt like the board, that's the board's responsibility. Right. And, uh, you know, we should take that on. Yeah. What's to keep them from doing 249s back to back? Well, that's why we asked for the report mm -hmm. weekly right. on the expenditures under 50000 because we wanted okay. to monitor if that's happening. You know, one last thing, you know, on the, on the finance too, we just hired a, a marketing director under Karen Fitzgerald in the communications office. And that's very important because we really need to start finding ways to generate more revenue um, in our district. Um, I was up at the Prosper Carroll game up in that beautiful stadium, $58 million Prosper Stadium, and they had sold the naming rights to Children's Hospital. And Children's Hospital provides, um, you know, annual funding for that and then also provides medical assistance during games, an x-ray machine. So there's things that we could be doing right now uh, because our brand is nationwide. Who, who is working with Fitzgerald on these things? Is she doing it by herself? Does she have a well, committee? She just hired a, a marketing director to, to replace someone that just resigned. And this person, I believe, came from Capel and is, I've heard, really, really good. So um, we really are going to have to sit down and see strategies behind that. But that's that's something that I think Hannah is going to mention next that you know, uh, we're we very actually, excited about. Yeah, we talked about um, perhaps creating a marketing committee for the board. Um, that idea was raised mm -hmm. at a budget and finance committee meeting um, recently. And I think it would be excellent to be able to tap into the expertise of our community. We have a lot of great marketing um, folks that live in this area. And so to create a committee that would help us be able able to tap into all of the great corporations yep, that correct. might be willing to expand our revenue streams would be really great. So if you want to move on to COVID, we could talk about
about that really fast. You know, we narrowed the symptoms that would trigger a student from being sent home due to a possible COVID diagnosis. So now, you know, if your if your child has a fever and or loss of taste or smell, those are the two primary symptoms that will um, flag you as possible COVID um, that would get your child sent home. And this was really my mother's hat sitting on the school board during one of the presentations. And there was this long list of symptoms that could possibly get your kid, you know, tagged as, as a COVID possible diagnosis. And I, I just raised my hand and I just said, look, you guys, we've got to narrow this down because we can't have kids being sent home over a runny nose or a cough or, you know, things that are easily um, explainable through allergies or something else like that. So I think that was really great. And there were a lot of um, parents that were really relieved at that. And we've kept masks optional, which is really important, I think, to our community. And certainly I know my children were really excited um, to not have to wear a mask this year um, and to be able to see their smiles coming back yeah. to school this yep. year was just so precious. Yep. Um, but I do want to make sure that people know that we have kept an option open and certainly there is an avenue for medically fragile students to receive instruction at home and that's something that our district is absolutely dedicated to making sure those kids that have medical needs that really need to be um, taught at home that they do have an avenue for that. I, I would just like to say I appreciate that because I, I, I think Look, nobody wants our kids to get sick, but at the same time, our kids need to have a great educational outcome, and, and we saw sure. that we weren't getting that. And so I, I appreciate you guys because I know that wasn't an easy decision to make, and you got a lot of pressure, right. but I appreciate I think you put the kids first. Yes, yeah. I yeah. do too. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. And then finally, we can yeah. just talk about the strategic planning process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we started that with our workshop this month, um, and we started uh, using our district administrators instead of spending $90,000 to have an outside consultant mm -hmm. come in and do our strategic planning process. Uh, we are using our own district administrators, so that saved us a lot of money, and they've done a fabulous job. You know, we kicked off the strategic planning process in our workshop this month, and we talked about what our goals are for our kids and what our goals are for the district and what we want to see this process look like and where we want to be and what the outcome is that we want to see after this is all over. So I'm really excited about this, Cam. I, I think too, we're going to do a lot of great things. Uh, absolutely. And not and it's not just being put together by the administration and the board of trustees. Um, we are involving the community in good numbers. Um, there's three primary processes that uh, we're going to generate this strategic plan from. And the first is next week. We have two town halls. I think they call them summits. Yes. Uh, that invites anyone from the public in, and they'll walk them through an exercise, kind of a strategic plan exercise to talk about goals and objectives. And so anybody can can come to those. And that's Tuesday, September 28th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And Wednesday, September 29th, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. That's yes, correct, and Tuesday yep. is at the Mark, and Wednesday is at Carroll High School. Yeah. Thank you. That's correct. Thank you so much for that. So we encourage everyone in the community to show up for those summits because we really want to get the community's feedback. And that's one of the things that I said in our workshop. You know, I really want the strategic plan to reflect what the community wants for our district and what the community wants for their students yeah. and their and their kids. And I also will say that they asked the Board of Trustees to submit some names for invitations for focus groups. Um, and those focus groups will be um, on certain uh, areas. So, you know, business leaders or parents or alumni or young families, you know, different kind of uh, uh, segments of our community and having them talk about uh, what they feel the strategic plan needs to um, include. So I'm looking forward to those focus groups as well. Yeah. Is there any chance to see Cap can come back if I may digress just for a minute? Is there any chance at all out of 100 that CCAP could ever come back? I don't no. think so. I really don't. I think that most people 
recognize that um, CCAP had a lot of components to it that were very problematic. Um, you know, as an attorney, I've said all along that I was concerned about the infringement on free speech and freedom of association and freedom of conscience and certainly potential violations of Title VII. There are a lot of things in the CCAP that were just problematic from a legal perspective. So I don't think that there's any possibility that CCAP is going to come back. So the threats to Carroll Medical Academy and some of our higher level institutions that threat has dissipated forever as long as ccap never comes back <laughs> you can never say forever right uh but yeah, that's that, true but but yeah they're intact um, we're supporting these programs and gifted the, and talented and the yep. school resource officers paid for by the city for the school any chance that those will ever be threatened never no, never no. i think our sros are yep. such a huge benefit to our district and we love what they do for our students and mm-hmm. as long as the city is willing to continue that partnership which i think is hugely beneficial to our district i think that they are going to stay on campus and i'm so grateful for yes. them and last question on that point i think we brought in correct me if i'm wrong on this 91 teachers for this new season did i see that somewhere the I numbers don't remember what the exact number okay. is but Call it probably it a big is number. something like that yes how do we how do we know how do we vet those teachers to make sure they're keeping their politics out of and I don't care if they're conservative or liberal how do we know that we're keeping their politics out of our kids schoolroom well we've done significant amounts of um conversations with our administrators, Gina Petty, who's over curriculum, and our other administrators who are over our teachers. And we've talked to them about making sure that there is alignment in our TEKS and in our curriculum across campuses and even within individual classrooms that teachers are teaching the same thing. Um, And so that has definitely been a theme that we have raised with the administration and something that we've said is a priority. And I know that Dr. Carpenter Mm -hmm. right now is working on both vertical and horizontal alignment. Lightning around one quickie between the two of us here. For me, what is the biggest threat that you see that's on the horizon for the school right now? I think we really just need to keep indoctrination out of our school district. That's the biggest threat I see. Elvis? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Cam, you need to answer. No, I was going to say, I agree with that, but also we have to, we have to be physically responsible. We can't get in a situation where we spend our rainy day account and we get down to where we're, you know, um, in trouble uh, financially. Uh, I just want to thank these two for rational leadership. I really do. And I I would just remind everybody in Southlake that while I appreciate it, this can come back. If we don't do our job as citizens being involved in this democracy, and, and keep rational leaders on our board, this can come back. Everybody has to do their part. Adult so, leadership, and we appreciate it quite a bit. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us on. Yeah.